The nominees are... Hello, everyone. As Dad and I are busy watching old movies in preparation for our regular episodes, I thought I would share some behind-the-scenes B-roll practices that we did. I think that there's some good, fun, and interesting stuff uh, here, but they don't quite fit into our regular episode format. I still think that they're valuable, and I think that you will still probably enjoy listening to them. I'm calling this collection of four mini episodes Season Zero, something like an extended pregame show. (laughs) These will help you get to know us um, somewhat so we don't feel like complete strangers to you. Uh, but they'll also give you some interesting trivia as well as some insight into the show. I hope that you will enjoy these pregame mini episodes and (laughs) that they whet your appetite for the regular episodes that are to come. In this first pregame mini episode, I try to explain my reasons for wanting to do this podcast in the first place and explore why you might be interested in listening, even if you aren't particularly interested in movies or old movies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Shea Cinema, the Best Picture Project. I know most podcasts don't need a long, drawn-out introduction and explanation, and on its surface, this podcast doesn't either. Dad and I are going to be watching and discussing every film nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture, starting way back in 1927. That's it. Except that's not just it. (laughs) The secondary title of our show is The Best Picture Project, and the word project is really the important part. For whatever reason, I feel intensely compelled to explain why I wanted to do this podcast in the first place and why, to me, this isn't your run-of-the-mill movie review endeavor. I'm a high school English teacher, and in all of the insanity that happened with COVID, lockdown, and the teacher shortage, I found myself suddenly responsible for classes I had never taught before. So during winter break for the 2021-2022 school year, I was told that at the start of second semester, I would no longer be teaching 10th grade English, but instead I would be taking over myth and folklore and film studies, two separate classes that didn't have any prescribed curriculum. So I was just kind of thrown into the lion's den, I guess, or into the deep end. One of the things that I had to do is make stuff up on the fly. (laughs) particularly coming up with what uh, was going to be the final exam project. So the best picture project became the course's final exam, where each student would do a presentation on a different film that won the Academy Award for best picture. At that time, there was a total of 94 films available for selection. This, of course, required a ton of research, and the presentation on that film followed some strict guidelines, outlines, and templates that I had created. Kids were really resistant to watching some of these movies, especially after I said each film could only have one student create a presentation. 
When it came time to sign up for slots, most kids scrambled to select films from the most current or several most current Academy Awards at that time. In fact, during that semester was the slap heard round the world at the 94th Academy Awards where Will Smith smacked Chris Rock. We actually talked about that in class because it was a contemporary issue. Teenage perspective on that controversy was endlessly fascinating. Anyway. Kids were scrambling to sign up for the most recent films, and many said things along the lines of, I don't want to watch this movie because it's in black and white, or I don't want to watch this movie because it's silent, or I don't want to watch this movie because it's not a Marvel picture, or it doesn't look realistic, or they had so many excuses on why they didn't want to watch the vast majority of the movies on the best picture list. Even movies made 10 years ago might be looked at with derision as being outdated or uninteresting because they weren't modern or contemporary enough. Practical special effects looked fake to most kids, used to seeing the latest in CGI technology bring fantastical worlds and characters to life. And granted, some kids completely opted out. They chose not to do the project, and while that's disappointing from a teacher perspective, and perhaps infuriating from a peer perspective, why isn't my kid doing their work? I think we can understand why an adolescent might find the task of researching an old, boring movie to be an absolute non-starter. But what I did find is that the students who chose genres or films that were kind of antithetical to what they would gravitate towards in their normal life once they started doing the research, once they started figuring out the context related to their film, once they actually sat down and watched the film and then answered reflection questions that I had for them once they did character studies. And then when they needed to present me their own opinion, it would be totally fine if they hated the film, but they needed to be able to explain why while also being able to describe the plot and not just do a cut and paste off of the internet. What I found is that the kids who took the project seriously ended up for the most part, absolutely loving the films that they watched because they were genuinely surprised by what they were watching. I don't want to watch this movie because it's in black and white. It turns out black and white movies can be very powerful and cover subject matter that they would never anticipate. I don't want to watch this because it's too old. I don't want to watch this because it looks fake. All of these excuses, but students, when they let their guards down, found themselves really, really enjoying these films that they had never heard of and had likely written off as being stupid. And in turn, I was pleasantly surprised when most students ended up saying, even though this is not my type of film that I would normally seek out, I enjoyed watching it. Some of them said, I may never watch this again, but I'm glad that I had this experience. Or this movie has now completely changed the way that I view film and the type of stories that can be told. So the school year was coming to a close with all of these projects, and I didn't know if I was going to be teaching that film studies class again the next fall. In fact, I ended up not teaching it the next fall, but over that summer, last summer, I was reflecting on how the class went and I realized it was such a good experience for me to experience my students watching and reacting to these films. I learned a lot from their research and their insights. And I thought, 
why don't I do the very same project that I asked my students to do? However, why not take it a step further and watch every film that has been nominated for Best Picture so that I can do some sort of personal analysis of whether or not the picture that won deserves the Oscar? I remember when I was younger watching the Academy Awards. This would have been when I was growing up in the 80s and early 90s. And I knew about most of the movies, thanks to a religious viewing of Siskel and Ebert at the movies every week. Or in some cases, even though I wasn't yet an adult, I had seen most of the movies that were nominated. And so I had very strong opinions about the outcomes of the awards. And sometimes I was thrilled and sometimes I was disappointed, not just on what won Best Picture, but on other categories as well. I remember making predictions about which movies would be nominated for Best Makeup or Best Special Effects after a trip to Sebastiani Theater, for example. I thought it would be interesting to do a personal kind of quest analysis of these movies. I'm familiar with most of the movies that have won Best Picture, even if I haven't seen all of them. And there are many that are nominated that I know nothing about. So I decided I'm going to do this project. I'm going to watch all of these movies and I'm going to document my thoughts and my reactions. Really, I thought I was going to keep a journal of some kind. (laughs) However, when I think about my own relationship with film, with movies, why I feel like research and analysis are not only interesting, but they're fun, is because of the relationship that I have with my father. When I was teaching this film studies class, I called him up constantly to say, okay, well, here's what I'm thinking about doing. What do you think about this? Oh, I'm going to have the kids watch this. And we would talk about it all the time. I, in my adult life, have watched movies and have called him up immediately afterward and said, let's talk about this, whether he had seen the film or not. I sought his insight and advice while creating the curriculum for the class. Therefore, any film analysis endeavor I would undertake would necessarily have to include my dad as well. Growing up, I remember when we got our first VCR, I was about nine years old. My dad got one for his 40th birthday. Suddenly we could watch movies at home, which was just like outrageous to not have that technology. And then all of a sudden it's right there in front of you. If you'd wanted to see a movie before that time, you had to go see it when it was in the theater or wait for it to be shown on TV. And if it was never broadcast on TV, you never got to see it. I do remember my parents waking me and my brother Tim up so that we could come out and watch Star Wars, for example, when it was on television. I remember them pulling us out of bed or keeping us up so that we could watch The Wizard of Oz. So my dad was so excited that he could watch all of these movies on demand and show us movies that he loved. Now, at that time, access to movies was very limited. Inventory started getting bigger and bigger and bigger as movie rental places and VCR ownership became more and more prolific. We literally lived across the street from what was, it was actually called this, (laughs) the video store. The video store in Sonoma ultimately moved locations and then it became a blockbuster. And then of course it disappeared, but the video store was more or less across the street from our house. And that's where we would go to rent videos. So you can imagine the stereotypical movie rental places of the nineties, right? We would walk around and look at all of the tapes. And then of course I was always interested in the new release stuff, which was always along the outer walls of the store. But my dad was always looking for stuff that he had never seen before 
or stuff that he had wanted to revisit from when he was a kid. So that meant that he was walking around in the middle of the store. One of the things that really flavored my life growing up was watching movies with my dad, and it was kind of no holds barred. We watched tons of stuff together. I remember one time Tim and I were sick and dad brought home Dumbo. We'd never seen Dumbo before. Woo! Really exciting, right? And I'm pretty sure that dad can recount in detail when he brought home To Kill a Mockingbird and we protested because it was in black and white, but we ended up loving it anyway. In particular, I remember dad showing us the road pictures with Bob Hope and Bing Crosby, which he had loved as a boy and which we frequently quote to this day, showing me the musicals that I already knew from listening to their soundtracks on our record player. Dad was able to share these experiences of his childhood and his youth through film that couldn't quite be described in words. I needed to see them for myself. Dad would watch all kinds of movies. And he never once told me that I couldn't watch something with him. My mom was a little bit more concerned about what I was going to be watching with him. But the thing that was so formative and positive about the experience of watching movies with my dad is that because there wasn't a filter, I'm not talking about, he said, okay, and now we're going to watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre and you're 10 years old. No, it wasn't like that. But what was so good about it is that I was allowed at a very young age to approach the stuff and just kind of learn. And if I asked a question, he answered my question. If he knew the answer to my question, great. If he didn't, he would say, okay, well, we've got to find out. My dad's a history buff. So a lot of times if we would be watching a movie, particularly the movies that he grew up with or the movies that were made in the early days of the film industry, he would always provide me with a whole lot of context. So I understood watching all of these films, kind of why they were made, the conditions under which they were made, what the filmmakers were generally probably trying to portray. It certainly explained to me why all of the World War II movies that we watched were more or less propaganda, right? While they were fun and exciting, they always painted the United States in a good light, which makes sense. Those are products of their time. And as I grew older, we could talk about anything, absolutely anything at all. Dad didn't shy away from stuff. I remember at a pretty young age watching Birth of a Nation, which I can only imagine would be considered pretty controversial right now, but it was important to watch. He explained it to me. I remember reading passages in books that he gave to me to talk about. For example, here's what they were thinking when they were making it and things like that watching movies and understanding the things that were potentially intrinsically problematic or racist or sexist or homophobic even. All of that was explained to me while we were watching film. And so when I thought, I'm going to do this project and watch all of these movies, how could I not do that with my dad? I asked him, hey, you want to watch all of these movies? And he was like, well, yeah. <laughs> One of the crazy things is that we live in an age, in a digital age now, where these movies are more and more available. Certainly, some of them have been lost. They're not available digitally. But the fact that I can get online and watch almost anything that I would like at any time, I think it's a really, really amazing technology. What a time to be alive. <laughs> 
I used to buy tons of DVDs, but I never made it to the transition to Blu-ray. I've reached my limit on physically owning this type of stuff. I still like to own physical books, but physical movies doesn't seem important to me. But the fact that more and more things are available is really, really astounding. So the ability for dad and me to watch these movies, it just seemed like this was the perfect time that we would be able to have access. We could watch these movies and then we could discuss these movies. The movie discussions dad and I had or have aren't always necessarily about filmmaking, but are always about storytelling. My dad is a prolific reader. He's a great writer. My mom is the same. I was raised in a household where some of the core values were, let's talk about what you're thinking. Let's analyze what you're reading, what you're watching, what you're listening to. So it just seemed obvious that I needed to do this project with my dad. And then here's the other component. I recognize that I have a unique opportunity to not only watch these movies with my dad and talk about these movies with my dad, but I have the opportunity to record these conversations with my dad and time is short. We lost my brother in the Iraq war back in 2005. And I don't want to get into that too much right now, but losing my brother, it brought the three of us, mom, dad, and me really close together. We learned the hard way that you can't take time for granted. If you want to do something, do it now. Tell people that you love that you love them. Go on that vacation to New Orleans before he heads off to basic training. Kind of seize the day. Carpe diem. To quote a film that dad and I don't quite see eye to eye on. But this year marks 18 years since my brother's death. It's almost two decades, which means that not only am I older, but my parents are older. And as morbid as it is, the reality of the situation is that we are running out of time together. And so for me, the need to have these conversations with my dad, do this project with my dad, record the conversations that I'm going to have with my dad is really, really important because we are going to run out of time. There's no way that dad and I will be able to reach the end of the line or get caught up on this project. I hope that we make it far. Who knows? This is why it's important for me, for us to start, because I don't know how much time we have left. And as I get older and older and my parents get older and older, the time is now. So why should you care about this podcast? I hope that you will enjoy it because you are interested in film, but I also hope that you will enjoy it because we are just regular people. We don't have jobs in the film industry. We may know some things about it, but that is not where our careers are based. I am, after all, a high school teacher and dad's an attorney. We can't give you any insider info other than what we've read in books or in our individual research. Dad certainly has more experience with these films than I do. He comes at them with a different perspective, and I want to be able to hear these perspectives and share these perspectives because conversations with my dad are always so good and insightful and uplifting. And so essentially this project, this podcast is going to be recordings of my conversations with my dad. The central conceit is this is going to be more of a window into us doing the project rather than us doing formal presentations, although our episodes are going to be 
absolutely formalized in the way we approach discussing each film. But I thought that other people might enjoy watching along, listening along. So if we can't find it online to watch, to stream, we can't watch the film because we have to do this long distance, essentially, right? But that also means that if it's available to stream online, you all can watch these films as well. Now, that doesn't mean that all of these films are free, but I think it's going to be worth it in the pursuit of film knowledge. (laughs) This is why I wanted to give some background on where this idea came from and why it is important to me personally and why I hope you will listen. We'll see how this goes, but this is a work of love. This is a project of love, and I think it's going to be pretty obvious that we are doing this for me and dad more than we are doing this for having any sort of standard podcast success. I want you all to come and hang out with me and my dad while we watch and talk about movies because he's one of my most favorite people in the world, and I would love to be able to share him with you. He might be rolling his eyes if he hears this ever, but we won't tell him. (laughs) Okay, everyone. This podcast is a documentation of my father and I doing this together because this is something we are interested in. I thought you might want to listen in and watch along with us, like family. This podcast project is a way to hold us accountable so that we can get to the hard work of watching movies and talking about them with each other. I firmly believe that if these films were talked about as they once were, which is why they were nominated for accolades in the first place. Many people would be willing to try them out, and most would be at the very least entertained and hopefully learn something about themselves and the world at large. Many of these early movies are finally available for streaming, so there's no excuse not to watch them. So if you are interested in film, in history, in storytelling, and maybe a dash or two of philosophy and theology thrown in every once in a while, I'm confident you will enjoy going on this journey with us. I'm so excited about this project and seeing where it takes us. So welcome. I hope you will enjoy. Let's begin. Shea Cinema. That's it for this pregame mini episode. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for our first regular season of Shea Cinema, The Best Picture Project. Season one will be covering the first Academy Awards, which was in 1929. We will be watching and reviewing six films nominated for Best Picture, which were released in 1927 and 1928. All of these films are silent, so come and sit with us for what will be sure to be quite an interesting endeavor.